Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. You're still here after yesterday's podcast, huh? All right, gluttons for punishment. Well, I'll get to today's guest in just a minute. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. We rejoice and are glad in it. And Lord God, we recognize that we are here for such a time as this because you are sovereign. We trust you in all things, and we trust that you have a plan and purpose for our lives, and that is not just to be comfortable not just to study the Bible and just get to know a lot of Scripture. and um, there's, It goes so much further than that, Lord. So we pray for a refreshing that we might be salt and light. We talk about these concepts so much, Lord, and, and yet we see in our culture and in our country the, the decay, the rampant immorality. We see the very opposite of what most of us understand as a Christian influence or a biblical worldview. We see moral relativism, and Lord, we need wisdom. Please give us wisdom, Lord, on how to apply the faith that we know from the Word of God, the faith that we have, and how to influence others for Christ, for righteousness. And we need your help to do that, Lord, because so much is coming against the church So much is coming against individual believers, and we have this health panic now, Lord. Please, O God, remind us of your power and your outstretched arm that created the heavens and the earth. And God, we have you as our hope. Jesus, thank you for being the anchor to our soul. We lift up this hour to you. We pray that people be challenged, encouraged, edified, and it's all in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot to get to today, including the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett, and we have a special guest back with us, Pastor Andy Woods. He teaches at the Sugarland Bible Church in Texas. He's president of Schaefer Theological Seminary, and uh, just a few of his books, which are great, The Coming Kingdom, uh, I loved The Middle East Meltdown. He also wrote The Falling Away and a book called Ever Reforming. Uh, Pastor Andy Woods, thank you for being back on Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Hey, David. Thanks for having me this morning. Thank uh, you. You're very welcome. I th- I'm so thankful for your time. Um, last month we talked about those who are governing by control and not by containing the virus. Uh, I'm going to just ask you up front. We talked about that and the, the shutdowns and the different uh, state governors and governments reacting to this and as far as the numbers of COVID and everything, what's changed in a month? <laughs> well, you know, I don't think too much has changed except, you know, it's, it is exciting to see certain people wake up finally to what's mm. going on. Um, I think as of Friday, I think this was like as of 4.35 p.m. Friday, uh, the Michigan State uh, Supreme Court, you know, basically yes. stepped in and said the orders that uh, Michigan Go- Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, was issuing, you know, all in the name of COVID-19, really draconian regulations are basically all null and void. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's new. Yes. <laughs> um, we're seeing uh, states wake up and recognize that the separation of powers doctrine, you know, is being being violated, particularly in these blue states, you know, that are trying to close everything down. Uh, I've seen a lot of people on the West Coast wake up and start fighting back. Uh, the name John MacArthur comes to mind. Um, there's a few other pastors that I could could think of, but um, I don't know. It just seems like within the last month, uh, there are some people that are saying, you know, we're just not going to take it anymore. This is outrageous. This has gone on too long. So in terms of a change, I guess that's the single thing I could point to. Um, Andy, would you please speak to believers who are listening right now and whose pastors have avoided uh, taking a strong stand on the religious freedom issue. And what I mean by that in part is I've been hearing recently, because of maybe increased positive uh, cases, uh, increased testing, but of course there's more people are testing positive for coronavirus, and, and some would consider it a spike in certain places. I've actually heard of some churches going back to online virtual now because of that and i'm just scratching my head and shaking my head very disappointed and how we have handled that as a church your thoughts well you know when this first broke nobody really knew what was going on it was new terrain for us and so you know i was in favor of taking a few weeks off um Mm -hmm. just to sort of so we could figure out what's happening. But what are we in now, our fourth month, fifth month, sixth month, something Mm -hmm. like that? And the President of the United States, and I remember it as vividly as can be remembered, he he said, you know, early on, I think this would go back to April, maybe early May, he said the churches go back to church. And so um, if the President is going to stand in the gap for the churches like that, and in my lifetime, I have never seen a, you know, American president standing in the gap like that for the churches. No. If he's going to get up and say that, well, my goodness, we need to go back to church. And so we as elders at Sugarland Bible Church made a decision to go back and to we're in Texas, so we're in a little bit of a different terrain than a lot of folks are, but we can operate under the guidelines, you know, that Governor Abbott has given us and still have church. And I would just encourage churches the best they know how to do that, because mm-hmm. the highest-ranking officer, uh, government agent in the whole country, said, "Go back to church." Yes, isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a, a man that a lot of, uh, well, I would say professing Christians, maybe some who are lean more liberal, um, are really uh, despising or coming against. It might be a milder way of putting it. And this is the man who's been the most pro-life. Uh, president, I think in our lifetime, if not in our history, uh, been the strongest on religious freedom, strong on supporting Israel, and so many other issues um, that I just, it's a, it's a, it's just mind-boggling to me the the divide we have, not just in the country, because that shouldn't surprise any of us, but into the church. Um, We have a battle now, we'll get to this in a minute, in the Supreme Court with the nomination and hopefully confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. But I wanted to ask you about the debate a couple of weeks ago, um, Andy, because we didn't have a chance to talk since then. Um, a lot of my friends and people that I've talked with just really are thinking these are just counterproductive at this point when these debates really don't allow a lot of substance and policy to be discussed. And plus, when you've got 
biased debate moderators. This, and I don't think many people would disagree with that. Um, it's really hard to really get decipher any truth and really policy something you can take home and go, okay, I did not know that. You're just hearing a lot of the talking points and, and lies. You, what are your thoughts on presidential debates? And I know we've got one coming up tomorrow night, I believe, or is it tonight, with Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. Yeah, I, I saw it was tomorrow night, but folks can double-check to make sure I've got that right. But, you know, people um, are just sort of, I guess, disgruntled or upset that the president, you know, kept talking out of turn. But, you know, here's the thing to understand is that, <laughs> the whole thing is rigged against the president. Mm -hmm. I mean, right down, you mentioned the guy running the debate, so-called moderator. If you lo looked at the questions, mm -hmm. and, you know, I watched, I was uh, speaking at a conference, and so I didn't watch it on my normal conservative uh, TV outlet that I watch it on, but uh, the, the host family had on more of a liberal uh, uh, outlet, and they had a panel beforehand and the panel consisted of it looked like about nine people, and each person was allowed to speak, you know, about 30 seconds uh, before the debate started to get their take on it. And I, I've never seen a panel like that. Every person on the panel said something negative about Donald Trump. Yep. And so the whole thing, in my opinion, was rigged against him from the beginning. And so that kind of helps people understand why he does what he does on Twitter mm -hmm. and why he acts the way he acts at presidential debates. He really doesn't have much of a chance to get his perspective out. And when people are kind of dismayed at his interrupting, I mean, that's something they need to keep in mind. And I, I, under, I get the sentiment that these things can be a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But if people are patient, they'll hear something that really is the definitive defining moment. And for me, the defining moment related to the Paris Climate Accord, hmm. which you will remember that Donald Trump took us out of. And that was a decision he made, not based on the new world order, not based on global sentiment, because he suffered a lot of abuse in the global press mm -hmm. you know, for doing that, the international press. That was a decision he made on the best for the best interests, uh, interests of the United States of America. You remember that famous line that came out during that time, uh, what's good for Paris is not good for Pittsburgh. And that's a, that's a line uh, that favors nationalism over globalism. Yes. And you'll notice in that debate, Donald Trump said we're going to stay out of that accord. And Biden said one of the first things he's going to do, should he win, is put us back under it. So there it is, as clear as you can see it. Uh, one one guy wants to favor America first, nationalism. The other guy is in favor of one world government. And, um, you know, that came out sort of late in the debate, and you have to kind of put up with a lot of a shouting match to get to that point. But that's the reason I think these debates are important, is there's a, this defining moment. Mm. And for me, that was the defining moment. Thank you. I like that perspective. I think that's that's very insightful. And um, I appreciated the fact that the president, uh, by the way, Biden interrupted Trump first. So just for the record, right. you guys who didn't watch the debate, Biden started the interruptions and then Chris Wallace chimed in. Um, Trump got Biden to contradict himself at least three times, if not four. And there were so many lies coming out of Biden's mouth from 
his, about his son Hunter Biden to his stances on different things. Like oh, he got him to to contradict himself on the Green New Deal. And at some, one point, Trump said, you just lost the left, which I thought was interesting. But listen, I, I agree. Chris Wallace, the moderator of the first debate, he's a registered Democrat. And it, it appeared to most open-minded people, I think, balanced, fair and balanced, people looking at this, observing, that the former VP Biden and Chris Wallace kind of teamed up at times against the president. But here's what's amazing to me, and we don't need to spend too much time on this, Andy. Uh, the guy who... Actually, literally partied with Joe Biden at a, a beach bash and is a friend. He's going to be moderating the second presidential debate. Um, he's he was going to be grilling the president. So here's this guy's name, Scully, Steve Scully. He is a host on C-SPAN. Apparently, he's been picked to moderate the second debate. He has close ties with VP Joe Biden. He once retweeted an article critical of President Trump. He interned for Joe Biden after coming to Washington, D.C. as a student, and he later was a staff assistant for the late senator, the leftist Ted Kennedy, the Democrat from Massachusetts. And one th thing he wrote on an article he retweeted about Trump, Steve Scully wrote, no, not Trump, not ever. Hmm. Not Trump, not ever. This is the man from C-SPAN that's going to host the second presidential debate. So I'm, I'm just frustrated by this whole process of selecting moderators. I thought Chris Wallace would be a little more um, balanced, but he just wasn't. So a couple more thoughts on the Democrat media activists. I was just looking at some headlines this morning. MSNBC's Joy Reid, who she is an activist, she described Trump standing in front of the White House as a, quote, Mussolini moment standing there as if he is a member of the old Russian czar family. That was Joy Reid from MSNBC. CNN's Jim Acosta, quote, this is the virus coming back to the White House. Seth Meyers, who's an entertainer and, and radical liberal Democrat, he said it's easy to say not be, to not be afraid of COVID when you have the best medical care. Um, and then, interesting on Twitter, apparently the hashtag TrumpCOVIDHoax was allowed to trend after he started tweeting good recovery news, meaning that he, maybe he didn't have COVID to begin with, maybe it was just a lie. Andy, your thoughts on just the constant barrage of attacks and lies and unfair criticism by those who are supposed to be, well, they're, they're not journalists, but they're in the, the Democrat media. Your thoughts on just a handful of these things. Well, you know, we're living in a time period, and it, it's not just true with this election cycle. This has been going on for a long time, <clears throat> you know, where people uh, basically posing as journalists are really not journalists. They're actually activists. Yes. And, you know, for the life of me, and I'm not close enough to the Republican Party or Republican politics to really understand this, but for the life of me, I have never fully understood why the Republican Party keeps, um, you know, uh, agreeing to this debate format I know. with these kind of with these kind of moderators. I mean, I I think some of our guys, I think someone like Ben Shapiro or somebody like that would just be a phenomenal mm -hmm. de debate moderator. And if they're going to have an ultra liberal one, like the one you just described, um, why don't why don't we have a conservative guy, you know? 
as moderator. So it's it's just frustrating because I know the media's biased left. That's no front page news, and I get more frustrated with my own party, the Republican Party, for agreeing, you know, cycle after cycle to this type of debate format. It's frustrating to most. I think of a majority of at least. Christians, conservatives, and or independents and Republicans. But um, we're going to get to Amy Coney Barrett in a a few minutes. We'll probably have to take a break before we do that because there's so much we wanted to talk about regarding religious freedom. But one other issue, because one of the things about the media, I don't... It's so frustrating because I wanted to at one point be a journalist in my life, and now I'm glad I'm not. But um, Tara Reid, she came out last year and said Joe Biden sexually assaulted her when she worked for Biden in his Senate office. All right. Many women have come forward with certain accusations against Joe Biden. The infuriating fact is the media won't report on anyone who comes out against a Democrat. But, oh, the Me Too is all over this liar that came out against Brett Kavanaugh. So CBS, over the, I guess, past weekend, they aired a special interview with Tara Reid, the woman who claims Joe Biden sexually assaulted her. And you haven't heard any, probably much press at all on that in America. But for some reason, understand, just weeks away from the election, they set up this exclusive interview to air, not in the United States, but in Australia. I'm not making this up. They chose to to use its Australian version of 60 Minutes to give Tara Reid, the accuser of Joe Biden, a platform, but they kept it out of American media, which is actually covering up for Democrats. And Ted Cruz said this, this is the most complete indictment of media bias ever. Why does CBS think voters in Australia need to know about these serious charges against Joe Biden, but not voters in America, where he is actually on the ballot. And then he said, please, CBS News, respond. Either tell us, one, why you decided this is news in Australia but not the USA, or two, why you have abandoned any pretense at impartially or journalistic impartiality or journalistic integrity. Andy, we've got a minute and a half left in this segment. Just your, your thoughts on this type of story that we hear over and over again, that the media is very well aware of any attacks on Republicans, but they kind of keep a lid on any attacks against or accusations against Democrats. Well, I think the left is really good at taking an issue and exploiting it for their own purposes, uh, such as the case with uh, women's rights. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is anybody with two brain cells to rub together can see that the left really doesn't care about women's rights, or else why would they have covered for Teddy Kennedy, you know, all these years? And my goodness, look at all of the women that, you know, were, uh, look at the left, how they covered for Bill Clinton, countless women he assaulted, raped, groped, etc. And beyond that, the left is in bed with Islam, you know, the Clinton Foundation, for example, uh, with its... uh, you know, outreach and money that it gains from Islamic sources. And we know what Islam believes about women. Women are highly degraded. So you look at some of these things and you start to reach the conclusion, well, the left really doesn't care about the issue of women's rights. What it 
wants to do, though, is selectively use that issue to bash conservatives. And the left is so good at this. Um, And it's the same with racism. The Democratic Party could care, care less about racism because the KKK and the Jim Crow South, when you track the history, all came out of the Democratic Party. And Margaret Sanger, you know, was a racist. Yep. And, and you know, if the left really cared about racism, those issues would be brought up. They're never brought up. So the left is a master at, at selectively using an issue against their opponents. Thank you. That's a very, very good summation. And I refer to them as either the Democrat media or the liberal activist media because they are the activist arm of the Democrat Party. We have to start calling it what it is, friends, and uh, be careful what sources you get your information from. We're with Pastor Andy Woods. When we come back, Amy Coney Barrett and the battle to confirm her. Also, if we lose religious freedom, everything else follows. We'll explain that when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Dr. and Pastor Andy Woods, Sugarland Bible Church in Texas. We are talking now, this segment, about religious freedom and the fact, this is not an exaggeration, if we lose religious freedom, we lose everything because all these other things will follow. So now, Amy Coney Barrett, the woman that Donald Trump nominated as the next Supreme Court justice to fill the seat of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, It's interesting, the attacks coming against her for various reasons, and uh, um, even some liberals are saying, well, she's qualified, but why don't they like her? Well, big part of the reason is her Catholic faith. She seems to be in her speech, more uh, almost an evangelical Christian in some of the things she shared, uh, but she's Catholic, and I guess Joe Biden is apparently uh, Catholic, and so what, why, why do they have an issue with her faith? Well, first of all, Andy, she's said some amazing things, in my opinion. She's, when she gave a speech to the class, graduating class of Notre Dame Law School, she said that their fundamental purpose in life is not to be a lawyer, but to know, love, and serve God, and she said, always keep in mind your legal career is but a means to an end, and that end is building the kingdom of God. And she went on to say some really impressive, to me, impressive things as someone of her status. Your thoughts off, just off the top on Amy Coney Barrett? Well, if people are upset with her because of her Roman Catholicism, um, then shame on them, because the, the Constitution is very clear that there is not to be a test for religious office, uh, excuse me, a, a religious test for political office. Yes. The Constitution says that quite clearly. And, you know, it was the Democrats at the when she was confirmed for a lower court judgeship, I think she was on the circuit court, if memory serves, Dianne Feinstein in the hearing went after her for that reason. She said the dogma lives within you. Mm-hmm. It's loud within you. And you might remember that Bernie Sanders went after one of Trump's appointees, you know, concerning um, accounting. I can't remember the exact position, but he was a graduate, if I remember right, from Wheaton. Mm-hmm. And he made a pretty pro-Christian statement concerning Islam. And so that came up from Bernie Sanders against that particular appointee, and shame on the Democrats for that. That is blatantly unconstitutional. You know, you can't uh, take people's private religious beliefs and make that as some kind of barrier for 
um, uh, public office. But they are. So Cory Booker did it. Kamala Harris did it. Well, and when they do it, it should be called out by Americans from coast to coast because it's blatantly unconstitutional. It's the very thing our founding fathers did not want when they said no religious test for public office. Now, what's really going on here, in my opinion, is not so much her Roman Catholicism. It has to do with her constitutional mm-hmm. philosophy. Yes, explain that. And what people need to understand is that the left has been able to bring its social agenda into the United States, whether you're talking about abortion on demand, whether you're talking about the removal of Christianity from the schools. They've been able to accomplish this not by a vote from the people. They've been able to accomplish this from the unelected judiciary. And there's a famous saying that was kind of quipped during the Earl Warren years, a very activist court. They basically said, with five votes, we can do anything. And five is a majority opinion. And so if you get five jurists or judges to agree on something, they can do whatever they want. And the left knows that. And the left also understands that once you're appointed to the federal judiciary, you're in for life. Therefore, you're unaccountable to the people. And so that's why they've always favored judges that believe in sort of an evolving document, living document theory of the United States Constitution. They can get their social agenda passed Mm. without the people ever voting on it. That's how we got abortion on demand in this country. And it came from Roe versus Wade, and the Roe court said this comes from the penumbras, which means shadows, shadows in the Constitution. (laughs) That's where we got our abortion, you know, on-demand policy. Wow. And now you get uh, people like Robert Bork, uh, Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, and the latest name in the battle is Amy Coney Barrett, who are basically saying, no, we're not going to make decisions based on the evolving document theory of the Constitution, but what it actually means according to the Founding Fathers' design. So they're trying to get to authorial intent and use that authorial intent to adjudicate matters that come before them. Well, if you get too many of those guys on the Supreme Court or any level of the judiciary, for that matter, then out the window goes separation of church and state, uh, abortion on demand, Roe versus Wade, penumbras, And that's why the left is so threatened by somebody like Amy Coney Barrett, because she has a track record of making decisions based on what the Constitution actually means. Uh, She's a scholar where she can go into it and derive its original intent. And when a case comes before her, that becomes the basis by which she resolves or adjudicates the matter. The left hates that. Yes because you can't bring in your big government, pro-abortion, anti-Christian concepts using that theory of constitutional interpretation. You've got to believe in the evolving uh, living document theory. And so people can say whatever they want about her Roman Catholicism or whatever they want about what Brett Kavanaugh supposedly did when he was, what, 15 years old or something. But What's really happening is they don't like the philosophy of constitutional interpretation, and they're using anything they can to derail such a nomination. They, they, they were successful with Robert Bork. Yes. 
and they almost won with Clarence Thomas. And with Amy Coney Barrett, it's just uh, a different name, different time, but it's the same ancient battle. Yes. Thank you for explaining that. I want to dive into that a little bit more. First, I want to quote um, Richard Land. He's the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. He said, if she, meaning Amy Coney Barrett, is an original intent, strict constructionist, as Scalia and others are, then they are going to make their decisions based upon what the law is, not necessarily what they would like it to be, end quote, as you just described, Andy. And he argues that, and this is what, where I'm concerned, he argues that every person of faith in America should be, underline, should be, extremely concerned about liberal Democrats and their media cohorts trying to make serious, devout Christian faith a disqualification from service in the courts or in government in any position. So this is the problem, Andy. You said this, I think, in the last segment, that it's alarming and it should be a concern. Christians—oh, no, you said that earlier this segment. People should be calling this out— but it almost seems like we're in a dangerous place where this attack against the Christian faith is almost accepted, so we don't call it out. Are we starting to see this normalization of kind of a, a discriminating against Christians? I think so. And, you know, I think it was William Bennett that said years ago that discrimination against Christianity is the last form of acceptable bigotry, you know, in the United States of America. Yes, yes. But the thing to understand about the Constitution is it's a double-edged sword. And just like we can't use the Constitution to keep people out of office that we may disagree with on a theological level, the left can't do it either. And whenever they wage this attack against her Roman Catholicism or her Christianity, I mean, that people ought to be aware of what's happening, and they ought to expose it, and they ought to call it out from coast to coast, yes. or it's going to get worse. And, you know, to me, and I, it may sound strange for people to hear me say this, um, because I am a pastor, but I, I am not particularly concerned what her private theology is, mm -mm. you know, where, where she stands on Roman Catholic issues or things like that. Um, what I am concerned about is what is her philosophy as a judge. And the, the, the whole purpose of a judge or a jurist or a justice is to put aside their preconceived predilections and ideology, and they, got, they have to go to what the law says, or in the case of constitutional law, what our founding fathers meant and they have to be able to apply that. Mm -hmm. And not only do they have to say they're going to do that, they have to have a track record where they have done that at the lower court level, and that's what you have in Amy Coney Barrett. You have a scholar, you have someone that has a track record or a paper trail of doing this, and that's the real issue. The real issue here is not how many kids did she have and Roman Catholicism and what version of Roman Catholicism did she brace? They're afraid of her because of her philosophy of interpretation, because if allowed unfettered, it will derail uh, the left's social agenda, 
which they have been able to impose on the people of the United States of America without a single vote from the people, by the way. Hmm. And they've done this for the last 50-plus years. Yes. Well, the whole, the whole thing comes down yes. if you get too many Amy Coney Barrett's on the bench. And now it appears, it's amazing that uh, President Trump has had three uh, judicial nominations to the Supreme Court. Um, now, you, you, you're, nothing's guaranteed as far as how they're going to decide and what they're going to say and, and on certain cases. But like you said, if you know their background and their history and the cases they've decided and the opinions they've given in the past, they have a track record. Something I want to share with our audience that you had um, at your church with Kelly Shackelford came and did a presentation on why religious freedom is important, and he got into detail on some of these issues that uh, we should be concerned about, but he was gave a very optimistic um, message, and most of us, to be honest, are not as optimistic about the courts in America. We know that Donald Trump appointed hundreds of federal, I guess, judicial uh, court positions. He filled those, and now the Supreme Court, but we see how some can turn, like a Justice Roberts or, or on certain cases. Would you care to, to share some of the points that uh, Kelly Shackelford made? And by the way, I love how you introduced him uh, using Acts 16 uh, when Paul was in prison. And, um, you know, he said, well, wait a minute, they're not going to let, let us go in silence, right? He, he, uh, the police reported to, to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid that uh, they were Roman citizens. And so would you like to set that up for us, Andy? Sure. I mean, everybody, you know, when this COVID thing came out and the government started to overreach, all of the well-intentioned Christians, you know, started quoting Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, mm -hmm. which basically is that famous passage, you know, where it tells us that God is the one who has ordained government, and we have a duty to submit to government, pay our taxes, honor government. Other passages say, pray for government. And for a lot of people, that's as deep as it goes theologically. But the reality of the situation is the man that wrote Romans 13 under the direction of the Holy Spirit is also in Acts 16, uh, around verses 35 through 40, disobeying the government. <laughs> and they had flogged him, and they were going to try to make him disappear and his companions in the middle of the night. And Paul says, no, uh, we're not going to disappear. You come and pull us out of this Philippian prison. And, um, you know, in essence, he was basically saying, you violated my rights, and until my rights are honored, I'm going to disobey what the local authorities are telling me to do. Well, let's, why don't we apply that to COVID-19? <laughs> um, the federal government has, and state governments have overstepped their bounds. And so why don't we do what Paul did in Acts 16 mm -hmm. and demand that our rights are, you know, protected, um, even though the federal government is the one that's violating those rights? I mean, that's, that's the Acts 16 model. And I hardly ever hear that point come out in the discussion. Exactly. It's always people quote Romans 13, and that sort of ends the discussion in their minds. And so when I had the opportunity to introduce... Kelly Shackelford, who is one of the great uh, First Amendment uh, freedom of religion defenders out there, you know, I wanted to bring up that particular uh, paragraph in the Bible because it, it, it gives a completely different context and perspective. 
And Kelly Shackelford, for those of you that aren't aware of the wonderful work he's done at First Liberty Institute, um, some of those videos that he shared were really almost almost tearjerkers. You know, we, you see these very real people in America struggling uh, with the r- religious persecution, the, the, the religious freedom, the threats against s- Christians. And you go, oh, my goodness, it's it's you almost shake your head and you say, how could this be happening in America? Yeah, I mean, there were two big takeaways, you know, for me. Um, one of the takeaways from his presentation, and by the way, people can go watch that on the Sugarland Bible Church website, or they can go to my personal YouTube channel, just type my name, Andy Woods, mm-hmm. into the YouTube search engine, and it'll come up as one of our pastor's point of view uh, programs. But the two big takeaways for me personally, and I, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, David, I do have a law degree. Yes. And I'm a member of the California Bar, and he was talking about things I, I was unaware of. Wow. Um, the, the two big th- takeaways for me is, A, the importance of religious freedom. And he made the point that when religious freedom dies in a particular community, then all of the other rights will die right after that. And he demonstrated that. And if you stand on religious liberty, everybody else's rights, whether it's property rights or whatever, are protected. And then the second big takeaway for me was how our judicial system is about ready to get rid of two major cases that have virtually warped the First Amendment. The First Amendment, and just interrupt me, David, if I'm going beyond time here. Yes, actually, we, we, we will have to, in, instead of uh, you starting, we've got like 30 seconds before we need to take a break, uh, less than a minute. So I, I want you to share that because I want that to be uninterrupted when you share about these two big cases. What he said were uh, court decisions that were about to be torn down. Is that what you were referring to? Yeah, two terrible precedents okay. that I thought were etched in stone that are about to be annihilated. Precedents. That's an important concept I think we need to discuss as well, because people need to understand how this works when the court sets a precedent, as in 1947, or as in Roe v. Wade, or in others. Uh, we need to find out how difficult it is to usually go back and uh, change that when you're talking about the Supreme Court. I'm with Pastor Andy Woods today. More to come on the issue of religious freedom when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're with Pastor Andy Woods, who um, reminded me that he was a, a former attorney, and he's got that background, and yet he was surprised by some of the things Kelly Shackelford of First Liberty Institute shared regarding religious freedom. And Andy, explain the points about precedent, when, when, when a court sets a precedent, and what you were just about to share about these two big cases that you thought would never be overturned. Right. Well, there's first thing to understand is we have a First Amendment in our country, and that's what all of these cases revolve around. And the First Amendment you know, and it's relevant part of it, basically says the government cannot establish a religion or interfere with the free exercise thereof. Now, the first part of that equation is called the Establishment Clause, and the second part of that equation is called the Free Exercise Clause. 
And, you know, there have been two very, very bad precedents that have been handed down, uh, perverting the meaning of both of those clauses. Um, On the establishment side was a case, I I think it goes back to the early 1970s, and it's basically called Lemon versus Kurtzman. And it gives a three-part test, you know, to determine if the government is establishing a religion. And it has completely perverted the Establishment Clause, because when our Founding Fathers says, said the government cannot establish a religion, what they meant by that is we don't want the United States of America to be, you know, a Baptist country, a Presbyterian country, a Methodist country. They were speaking against denominationalism. Yes, And in fact, when you go look up the word religion in an 18th century dictionary, which was what our founding fathers were using, you'll see that religion equaled denominationalism. It never referred to the uh, well-agreed-upon transcendent principles of Christendom, like the Ten Commandments, that all denominations embrace. But what has happened is the Lemon decision made it sound like our founding fathers were trying to separate Christianity from public life, not denominationalism from public life, but Christianity. So that has become the basis by which the Ten Commandments can't be posted anymore in the schoolhouse. Stone versus Graham, 1980, there mm-hmm. the court actually said, you know, if people read these Ten Commandments, they might o- might obey them. Astounding. What a shame that would be, you yes. know. And so, the, <laughs> so Lemon is used as a basis for tearing uh, the Ten Commandments down from schools. You can't teach anything that contradicts evolution anymore, because that's bringing religion into the classroom. And so that's the Lemon case. On the free exercise case, there was this terrible case called... Uh, Employment Division versus Smith, which basically said the government can interfere, you know, with the free exercise of religion no longer by presenting a compelling interest. A compelling interest is the highest interest you have to present to interfere with religion. But they lowered the threshold from that, allowing the government to interfere with religion uh, on a much lower threshold basis. And so those two decisions, Lemon and Smith, have perverted the meaning of the Establishment Clause of the mm-hmm. First Amendment, and they have perverted the meaning of the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. And as someone you know who has a law degree, a member of the California Bar, you know, I just had not kept up with everything. I had assumed that those two decisions were etched in stone and they would never be overturned. And it was just delightful to learn from Ke- Kelly Shackelford based on his analysis of you know, various court opinions, etc., someone that's in the fight, that those two decisions, he believes with the current composition of the court, are on the verge of being dis- uh, torn down and replaced with better precedents, hmm. more in line with our Founding Fathers' vision for the First Amendment. So he didn't use this exact analogy, but this is an analogy I like to use. It's almost like we are living in Germany uh, before the Berlin Wall came down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're so used to that wall, we think it'll never come down. Yes. And Lo and behold, what was it, 1989, 1990, the whole thing came down. (laughs) And Kelly Shackelford says that's what's about to happen in the United States of America concerning the Establishment Clause 
and concerning the free exercise clause. And that's why Amy Coney Barrett, you know, being nominated at this particular time, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away, uh, you know, just prior to a presidential election. And President Trump has gone forward and he's going to make the court appointment, even though everybody's telling him not to on the left. Yes. Uh, her her replacement on the court will push things in the right direction. The people that Trump has already put on the court will push things in the right direction. And so that Berlin Wall that we're so used to is about to be torn down. And Kelly Shackelford is the man that really yeah. brought that to my attention. Wow. Uh, so many other follow-up questions I have, including the importance of uh, finding the right case to take to the courts. Uh, he said there are times where they went in and they didn't have the best case, and so they're, they're looking for those best cases. When it comes to, for example, um, religious freedom issues, there was one he shared about a church in Kentucky, On Fire Christian Church, mm-hmm. who I believe they were having outdoor services and they were still getting fined. Would you like to share a little bit about that, Andy? Yeah, they were having uh, outdoor services. Uh, People were in their cars with the windows rolled up. The pastor, you know, was giving his sermon via a microphone, and the parking lot was, you know, what do you? You don't have a mega church here. You have maybe eight eight cars or less (laughs) in the parking lot, and the local authorities came down on that arrangement under the guise of you're violating COVID-19 regulations. Well, that is, is outrageous. Uh, that, that is totally ridiculous. And had we had a decision that erased Smith, the case I was trying to describe earlier, mm-hmm. and sent it back to the compelling interest test, which, which is where it belongs, um, the, the, local, the localities would have never been able to regulate that kind of thing. But they were still able to regulate it and uh, that's an, a, another outrageous decision that went on, and that's what Kelly Shackelford is fighting against. Did he say that, uh, Kelly Shackelford, that in, in Washington, D.C., it's still either a, a law or a guideline or a mandate that you can riot and protest, but you cannot hold church services? Did I get that right? Well, you know... This virus has turned out to be pretty smart, I guess, because (laughs) if we're dealing with a Black Lives Matter rally where nobody has masks on, I guess the virus doesn't work. If we're over at uh, Walmart uh, where people sometimes don't wear masks, I guess the virus doesn't work. But it sure knows how to work in a church service. Yeah, apparently. And it sure knows how to work in a, a poor guy's church service of eight cars with all of the windows rolled up. Um, and so, again, anybody with two brain cells to rub together can look at this and see it's a blatant contradiction. And, you know, if, if this kind of thing doesn't get corrected, um, we're in for a lot of trouble mm-hmm. in this country. I mean, if we're not going to stand up for this, uh, the, the Constitution means absolutely nothing. And so, you know, God help us understand that when our founding fathers gave us our rights— they are inalienable rights that come from God. And nowhere in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution does it say, oh, by the way, these rights can be suspended you know, in times of a virus. 
Uh, I don't see that in the Constitution. No. And so, you know, it's either speak up now or forever hold your peace. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my take on that. Today's podcast is called If We Lose Religious Freedom, Everything Else Follows. And a question, you'd be the perfect person to ask this. I, when I was doing some research on some uh, one of the chapters for one of the books I was writing on the Constitution, on the drafts, when they were coming up with the First Amendment, there are all these drafts on religious freedom. And um, I believe what I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the word denomination was key. That was the word that was in one of the original drafts of the First Amendment to the Constitution. In other words, it says it said something like, Congress shall make no law respecting a denomination of religion or prohibiting free speech or free exercise thereof. Now, that would really lead you to conclude that, oh, okay, they're talking about Christianity and the Bible and denominations. So, it's interesting now with the way it's currently worded, respecting an establishment of religion. Now you open the door to atheism, humanism, Islam, secularism, Buddhism. What are your thoughts on that? And do you remember those first early drafts of the First Amendment? Yeah, I do, as a matter of fact, and I think your understanding of it is correct. I read that years ago um, in a book on the I can't remember the exact title of it, but it dealt with the separation, alleged separation between church and state, Mm -hmm. uh, brought out by a political scientist in a book on the subject. His name was Robert Cord, if I remember his name correct. But he went into those original drafts of the Establishment Clause and clearly shows that the Founding Fathers, by the language they used, had no ambition to remove the transcendent trans-denominational principles of Christianity from public life. They just didn't want it to be sectarian or denominational. And um, uh, that's that's my recollection of it, and Mm -hmm. that's my understanding of it. The Lemon decision doesn't respect what we just said. Right. So it needs to be torn down and Needs to, uh, we, have, we need a new standard that's more in harmony with the Founding Fathers' aversion to denominationalism in public life mm-hmm. and not Christendom or right. Christianity in public life. Exactly. I remember now what I was writing or researching at the time. I believe it was a chapter called The Separation of Christianity and State, because that is what we're really seeing, and that's what's really happening in America with our Constitution— with the Bill of Rights, with the Declaration of Independence, all based on the the God of nature and nature's God. or Yeah, I think I said that right. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. Andy, the, the faulty idea, the lie, of this, a lot of our listeners already know this, but just to reinforce this, what we're talking about, this idea, the, the lie of the separation of church and state is found nowhere in our documents and in the founding documents. It was in a private letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists, and they were worried about, I believe, the Episcopalians. So, again, you're talking about denominations, thinking, I don't want them to be you know, respected over us, and he wrote back saying, no, there is. Um, what are your final thoughts on this? How do we continue to fight this lie of the keeping Christianity behind church walls and out of culture? Mm-hmm. Well, I have a YouTube presentation on this that people can find um, on my YouTube channel, it's called the big lie separation between church and state. And I give nine reasons 
in that presentation why this whole concept of a strict wall of separation of church and state is one of the greatest lies and other than evolution itself wow. it's probably one of the greatest cultural hoaxes that has ever been pushed or perpetrated on a people and again this came to us through the judiciary this is why the left is so guarded about who gets on the court it did not come through a vote of the people. But the bottom line is you'll study the First Amendment and you will not see the, the word strict, the word wall, the word separation, exactly. the word church, or the word state. Exactly. Now, it does show up mm. in the former Constitution of the Soviet Union, <laughs> but it doesn't show up in the American Constitution. And that whole concept comes from a ripping out of context something Thomas Jefferson said concerning the Free Exercise Clause not the Establishment Clause, and applying it to the Establishment Clause. When Thomas Jefferson, most people don't know this, wasn't even in the country when the Constitution was adopted and debated and ratified. So they took some letter he wrote to the mm -hmm. Danbury Baptists 11 years after the founding of our, uh, of our Constitution, I should say. They m mutilated it ripped it out of context, the very way Satan, you know, takes the words of Scripture and twists them, and applied it to the establishment side of the First Amendment, and from that we got the Lemon decision, and from the Lemon decision we've seen a separation between Christianity and public life, and if you put your ear to the ground, you can hear our founding fathers rolling over in their graves, because that, what, that idea was not in their minds at all. Uh, what they were against is denominationalism in exactly. public life, not exactly. Christianity. Exactly. Thank you for reinforcing that very important point. It's a lie. And uh, thank you for your time, Pastor Andy Woods. Uh, today's podcast, you guys can get it and share it. We encourage you to do that. If we lose religious freedom, everything else follows. Andy, God bless you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Good being here. All right, when we come back, we'll let you know our guests the rest of this week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Tomorrow you'll hear from Israel Wayne, Family Renewal. Steve Smotherman, he's a pastor in New Mexico at Leg Legacy Church. He's got a, an amazing testimony. And J.B. Hickson, uh, by the way, Steve Smotherman on Thursday, J.B. Hickson, on Friday, God and COVID-19 and uh, Pastor Andy Woods, what he just shared was just so profound, but the lie of separation of church and state, the biggest hoax on our culture next to the lie of evolution. Well, God bless you. As always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.